Let's hope they do it right this time. We list off six important things Street Fighter VI needs to have at launch. Plus, Akira and Oro are now both in Street Fighter V, and Dream King joins us to talk about Oro's Tango Stone V-Trigger, an attack that one of us thinks is an overpowered regression for the game. And then finally, Catalyst lists off five helpful tips for playing with both Oro and Akira on this week's episode of the Event Hub Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Carlos Green. With me, as always, is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Hey, how's it going? I have been having a uh, a surprising amount of fun with Street Fighter with playing new characters. I'm I'm usually, but I I don't like new things a lot of the time, and I've been tasked with reviewing. Um, Akira for the website, and, and that review is actually up on the front page. You guys can check it out. She has been surprisingly fun. Uh, oh, maybe not surprisingly, but I've been having a really good time, and things have been working much quicker than they have in the past for me. It usually takes me a lot longer to like kind of get my groove going with the character. And um, and I played her at Casuals last night, my local, and uh, I stayed on the station for the entire time, uh, for like an entire rotation of everybody that was there. Um, and so I've, just, I've been having a good time. She's, a, she's an interesting character. We're going to talk about her today. We're going to talk a, a, a good bit about Oro today as well. Um, and mm-hmm. just a few things really quickly before we dive into all of that. Uh, first off, we talked about a uh, contest and a giveaway that's coming up. Um, looking at some of the logistics there, because I'm going to be out of the uh, office, as it were, uh, for a uh, a little thing like my my wedding and such in the coming month or so, I uh, we're going to run that after this. So it's going to be uh, happening probably after September. Um, and then also we have some footage that we have been uh, looking at of people that are uh, subscribed to the podcast that want us to kind of cover things. We talked about that as well. That's on its way, but it's going to be a little bit as well, just because we want to figure out the perfect way to package all that and to uh, to give you guys the best version that we can of our uh, analysis. So those things are on the way, but uh, sit tight for it. But we have some great stuff to tide you over for now. Um, John, we were going to talk about... Gosh, the six important things Street Fighter VI needs at launch. Last time we talked about Street Fighter VI, and man, that the, the people enjoy hearing about this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it makes sense, makes sense. So I was sitting uh, and thinking about it, and of course, in recent Street Fighter history, Street Fighter V's launch is one of the worst um, in, in modern video games and modern fighting games for sure. Uh, and maybe maybe not as bad as Marvel Infinite, but maybe maybe worse, and maybe Marvel yeah. Infinite died for other reasons. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But some stuff that we want to see right at launch for Street Fighter Six, because we know first impressions are oh so important. Street Fighter Five spent the majority of its life trying to catch up, trying to fall back into the good graces of the people, and so many times we saw something good happen, some kind of progress happen, and yet the 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 reactions and the positive reactions to it were buried under a whole bunch of yeah, but this, yeah, but that. Well, you still haven't addressed this, so. It's really nice if we can start off with some good momentum and then reach new heights as opposed to get back to zero after a few years of tweaking your game. So uh, the first things first here, the first thing that I think almost everybody in the fighting game community will be checking upon day one is a respectable netcode. Now, there's some nuance here. I don't want to just say it has to have a good netcode. It has to have a netcode that the community acknowledges as as 
meeting the standards of today that the community goes yes when they go onto social media they're either not going to say anything about it but but ideally they're going to be saying wow i'm impressed with the netcode i played with someone in japan and it was pretty good like they've been doing with the likes of mortal kombat 11 uh guilty gear strive is the big one right now netcode is one of the very first filters people pass their judgments on a new fighting game through very understandably so and considering that Street Fighter VI is probably going to be something like a 2023 title, the expectations are only going to get higher from where they are right now. So if this game launches and it doesn't have very strong netcode, especially as a AAA title that Capcom, it's Street Fighter, and it's Street Fighter. It should be setting standards for the fighting game community, for the fighting game genre, I should say. So if it launches and people are just distracted with, oh, it's got bad netcode, you're going to immediately shoot yourself in the foot from the starting block. And I do not want to see that with this. I think that Capcom is well aware of how important this is. And they are mm -hmm. well aware of everything you could do good could be completely overshadowed if you don't have strong netcode. Hey, actually, on that note, we spoke with the developers of the game back in 2015 before Street Fighter V came out, and they talked extensively about how important the netcode was. Now, people might beg to differ in terms of the results of Street Fighter V's netcode, but they tend to forget that this is an older game that we're still playing. Uh, a lot of the other games that we're talking about are you know, brand new releases that, of course, have better netcode. You can just allocate so much more to a brand new game in terms of budget and all this kind of stuff that you know Street Fighter V... We just talked about a rocky launch and some of the dicey budgetary decisions that Capcom had had made at that time. Um, you know, with with just partnering up with Sony and making it console exclusive, all this other kind of stuff. Capcom was very low resources when Street Fighter V was made financially, uh, which has really changed. Um, you know, with uh, all the the major hits they've had now at this point in time. So there, there's, it's kind of a it's a bit of a different thing. You know, I'm not I don't want to cast too much optimism on what Street Fighter VI netcode is going to be because you know we'll we'll test it out and see at that point in time. Um, but I think a really good standard is like you know you and I can play and it's just barely playable. We're a few states away, and most of the people I know who are a few states away from me like it's playable but like cross country like uh all the way from you know uh all, all the way across the u.s should be entirely playable with this next I game agree. and and even country to country should be fairly on the you know on the radar but you know even with guilty gears drive we we saw some of the the players in different regions at evo like just complain horribly about the latency of the game uh there's only so much your net code can do you know, uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I do know it's high up on Capcom's radar. We have direct confirmation from that from some of their developers from back in 2015. And it's only gotten higher on the entire community's radar. Uh, there it is. There it is. So the next of the uh, six important things Street Fighter Six needs at launch. I'm going to say a 20 characters or more starting roster. SF5 launched with 16. It didn't get... it. There were other issues that I think kind of overshadowed that, and some people didn't complain as much. But I think if you launched with a 16-character roster, um, and and indeed, all of the discussions that we've seen, there's so many comments. People are like, not 16. needs to be more yeah. than 16. Um, and, I mean, it doesn't need to be a Smash Bros. Ultimate, where there's like 70-some characters, and it's everybody in the entire franchise up until this point. But I think... As I as I consider it, twenty is about the the line where if you have less than twenty characters, 
people are like, eh, not so much. And you can get up to, the, I think, MK11 launched with 25, and that was pretty good. Yeah. But you also definitely want to, there's no way around the fact that in, in business now, you want to have some strong DLC releases and such. Uh, you want to have the potential there. You don't want to shoot all of your biggest guns off right at launch. You want to have some good ones. You want to have a very um, a launch with very strong momentum and a lot of characters that people are are ready to jump in and see. And by the way, there's uh, we'll put up a um, a link to the, uh, the the roster that you put together. So you think oh. would be a strong Street Fighter Six starting roster, and there were indeed 20 characters on that one too. Um, but yeah, I think you need that. And then if you consider if, if Capcom continues to do DLC the way they've done it here in Street Fighter V, then you're thinking about six more characters per year. Well, if the game gets a support for, say, four years, then that's an additional six times four is 24. Getting your roster from 20 all the way up to 44, that's a pretty healthy number that I think everybody's yeah. happy with. There's good representation across the board with all the different types of characters that you might have. Um, so... Anything less than twenty, it's gonna be it's gonna be a negative bullet point. It's gonna be something for people to complain about on on social media, which is not a be all end all. But you want to have positive discussion going around about your game when it launches. You don't want to have these distractions. So that's where I'm saying about twenty characters starting launch roster. Yeah, in one of the the main things I can say here is like the history of what the FGC and kind of gamers in general find acceptable and like one of the words you've used a lot is, is charisma how much charisma does this game have and if you end up with about 40 to 50 characters like going beyond 50 is is can be quite a bit for a lot of people like it starts to get overwhelming so even much for to us learn. Yeah. yeah yeah um but you know hitting you know over a game's lifespan getting close to 50 is really good so if that's kind of like your end-all be-all goal like i think the community is going to embrace that pretty darn well and we're seeing that you know we saw that with street fighter 4 we're seeing it with street fighter 5 these are really good sweet spots to kind of hit, but make sure that launch roster is 20 to 24 characters, um, you know, somewhere in that vicinity. 16 is not acceptable. Not anymore. No. Okay, number three, I have an addictive in-game economy. Now, if I were marketing for Capcom, I would not use the term addictive, but we all know from our phone games and from the, the models that so many free-to-play and other types of games have adopted, you want an in-game economy that matters to people, that gets them to come back and play the game. If it's if it's between this and that, well, if I have to jump on and do my first win of the day bonus and I get, you, you know, like 500... Uh, you know uh, uh what is it fight money for doing that that's a really smart move and you so so what i want i don't want to get too far ahead of myself here what i want to see is um fight money that matters stuff that matters to to purchase like that that drives people to play the game that where you feel that extra sense of reward where you get that dopamine drip and everybody can make fun of it. Oh, a loot chest. I'm so excited. I'm opening the loot chest. Whatever. Huh? I don't care, but it's fun. It's just so dope. Dude, I have, but been, yours... I have been doing so many loot chests now in street because I have so much fight money in it. I'm actually starting to get into it. And I'm I'm starting to cook all my fight money on the loot loot stuff because I want all the extra, you know, EX costumes and stuff. And I realize it's not the best of, of like looks compared to other games and stuff, but I'm still enjoying it. Like I wish I had some stages and stuff in there. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Like if there were, well, and, and my next point, I don't want to, I don't want to jump too far forward because it'll jump into my next point. But with what we've had in Street Fighter V, it seems like they they've begun this. They've they've jumped into it and they've imitated what they've seen. 
but it's kind of like it was a hollow imitation um, and it they didn't really get the formula right. Fair enough, it's their first whack at it, but update this because it's so important. Conspicuous consumption is a big deal. People want to have stuff that they can buy, that they care about, that, that matters to them. And for a lot of the casual players, they're not playing because they're trying to win. They're playing for the general experience and a huge part of that is just how fun are the like the the routine modes and the and the practice mm -hmm. of it all um how much fun is that process to play and if you get that dopamine drip of like here's more money and then you can buy things that you care about for that money it's a really good look and it's 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 almost a, a non-negotiable part of a lot of games in in modern times so it, it, it one of the things I think it should have been like in Street Fighter Five is like beat arcade mode. There was no arcade mode, but beat arcade mode and you get like rewarded for it. And it's like, oh, that's like a classic Street Fighter, you know, thing. And and that's tried and true. People love beating Street Fighter's arcade mode, right? I'll even go back and play some of the older games arcade mode because it's such a, a good retro experience. A lot of people feel that way. Make that a part of your core experience and tie it into exactly what you're saying. There's mm -hmm. so much opportunity that they're not doing yet that they better do in Street Fighter Six because it just makes the game better. Mm -hmm. Now, and, and a lot of the issues that Street Fighter V had was because it was clear that the, the, the game was very rushed to get out at a certain time. The game was not done. And, and that was not only bad in the moment, but that echoed and, and rippled through the game's identity in a lot of different ways. One of which was they built this survival mode where a lot of the early money went into... Uh, well, even now, if you open up a loot chest in the game, you're getting a lot of items to help you in survival mode, which is a mode that like nobody wants to do. And, and so again, it's not like, there's no value to those kinds of things. There's a few little things like, Hey, cool. Classic Dawson costume or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's right. But you could do a lot more there and, and get a lot more juice out of this. So, um, okay. So this takes me to my next point, which is very much tied to the economy thing, but it's so important that I wanted to make it its own. And that is have customization. Um, now the character customization, little tiny, um, details, accessories on the character, allow your players to make the characters their own. This is one of the ways you feed into that addictive in-game economy. People want to give their Sagats a pink eye patch and they want to add like a goofy sash to Rio or whatever. They want to have a unique version of their character that is their own. This is really good for the casual crowd. Think of, think of like Fortnite. Is Fortnite about winning the battle royale or is Fortnite more about creating a character that's your own, having the dance, having the taunts, uh, expressing yourself through this world and like, hey, yeah, sometimes I win. But man, so much more of the money that was built on or that, that comes in to these games is about this conspicuous consumption aspect. And we've talked about it before. I, I've written an article or two on this on the matter. Um, Mortal Kombat does this pretty well with gear. Uh, and, and I don't want the uh, specifically, I don't want this to affect the actual gameplay. It's all just mm -hmm. visuals. And I, and I don't want it to be, yeah, it's cosmetic. And I don't want it to be something that would be, um, a, you know, an obstruction of what you can see. I don't want it to hurt that at all. Um, but you need to make, let people create their, their characters or, or, or dress their characters and customize that um, because that can be such a big thing that where getting this fight money matters, first of all. And it also feeds into the esports realm if you can make it so that certain people, as they want to build up their brands as a as like a Twitch streamer and then as a pro player, man, if if Oil King or whomever 
can have their traditional like or not traditional their unique specific version of rashid say or whatever it is and you go oh that's the oil king rashid because he wears the red and the goofy hat or whatever it is there's a lot of opportunity there on the esports side of thing and hey capcom has been depositing all of their esports uh you know resources and momentum into street fighter so far it's all they've got um in the esports realm as far as you know all of this stuff goes so I think that this could help out in some really big ways, but you need to have at this point customization like that, man, because that's going to draw in so many people. You want to reach the casual audiences. It's not make the game easy to win. Okay. We've, we've run that. We've run that experiment. It's not the answer. Move on. This is how you reach more casual audiences in a big way. And it's an experiment that's been run very clearly in games like Fortnite and and the free to plays and all that kind of stuff. So sample out of that one, man. I literally want to buy an option to change Rose's hair color and her scarf color right now. <laughs> like, it, it, sign me up. Literally, I'm I'm trying to click that button and I can't do it. So it's yeah. uh, it's big time. Where do I give this money to? Yep. Um, okay, so the next one is a story mode worthy of the current buildup and one that's worthy of the current. I guess we could say standard for fighting game story modes. Um, NRS kind of updated that back in 2011 with MK9. There was the cinematic story mode that blew everybody out of the water. It's not to say that this is, you know, the, the greatest telling of stories ever, but for fighting games and the reputation that they've had, understandably, you've got a bunch of different characters with a bunch of different hypothetical stories. If they were to win an arcade ladder and such, it's like, yeah, it's going to get fragmented. It's going to get lost. Fair enough. But the developers of Street Fighter V have very clearly been paying attention to the story mode all through this fifth season, um, not only for Street Fighter V, but for the bigger Street Fighter canon. We have what looks to be some kind of a visit back in time to the alpha days from where we're at now. They seem to be setting this up. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. There's previous episodes about this. Um, I want this to be a box that's fully checked um, when we jump in. I don't want it to be some kind of like watered down, oh, well... I don't know, we, we set it up and, you know, the whole Nikali had this crazy good backstory and he became what he became. Or like, why does Bison have white hair now? Oh, well, it'll be answered when the game releases, when the story mode comes out. Nothing. It's just like the most memorable thing about Street Fighter V story mode was that Zangief breaks a sword with his chest hair, you know, which is awesome. Have that come back, but also have like a story that matters and people that, that, that people can get behind, that people are enthralled by. It doesn't have to be a Last of Us level story. But it can be something that that is, um, again, not talked about and not distractedly bad, you know, that's not getting people's attention, that's not like sucking the charisma out of your game. Have a story and, and have this buildup that you've been having um, through season five pay off for us because we're we're invested. We're ready to see it. And we, we want to see that kind of stuff, you know, and. It's funny, you talk about like uh, fighting games not known for having plots and stuff, but like back when Street Fighter 2 was released and uh, it was actually regarded as one of the best endings in all of video games because you had eight different characters with eight different endings. And sometimes the ending screens back in the day were you won, you know, or you're winner and stuff oh, like sure. that. It was really bad. And so fighting games actually set a standard for a lot of people in terms of having a really in-depth and great endings in video games are, are stories basically, right? Um, no, that was clear back in the 90s and so, but you you know, a lot of people play through Mortal Kombat or whatever to see like what what Raiden's ending is and all that kind of stuff. Like that stuff mattered, and and it, it there's a lot fighting game developers can and should be doing here in 2021. The standards have been set by NRS, right? But. There's still more stuff here. And like people care about this content. They want to consume it. They want to see, you know, Ryu and Sagat battle it out in a certain way or, you know, like what's going on. Like there's a bunch of iconic moments they can and they better hit 
because if not like what are you doing like you're you're just you know you're shooting blanks at that point it's like you know the multiplayer gameplay all that kind of stuff we care a ton about that but we also care about the single player contents what got us into these games to begin with so mm -hmm. absolutely and then the last one here i have is crossplay it's 2021 crossplay isn't a, a an absolute must but man it's starting to get to that to that point and again if it comes out in 2023 or thereabouts how much more of a just everyday thing an expectation will crossplay be at that point sf5 comes out only on the playstation 4 and then on pc as well um, but xbox completely pushed out of the picture there and i think that hurt the game now it's it's like that was for a certain situation i think you know maybe is the the kind of the failures of cross tekken put capcom in a particular financial spot yada yada whatever it was but street fighter 5 being only available on the playstation 4 and, and no love loss for sony's hardware man um i don't think was a good look and and not only that uh, another small thing i should say on the side not a small thing but a thing i should say on the side the fact that uh it was only available on playstation and then killer instinct was only available on xbox i think that it did a number on killer instincts potential which people really yeah, revere that uh, game is 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 really good and it didn't get much of a chance because well for those of us that were only going to buy one or the other in the console wars well you're going to get the new street fighter right and so for a lot of people that probably would have played killer instinct didn't um and, and it's like that's kind of a once removed issue from all of this but it is something that happened um i would like to see people be able to play with each other uh street fighter with each other across all of the platforms pc sony um playstation or xbox whatever they're on and nintendo for that matter too um, but we are getting to a place where the world is very much smaller than it used to be and uh, not having crossplay just seems like a thing of the past it's very quickly becoming an antiquated thing and man maybe best case scenario if you don't have crossplay is people don't really say anything but you're going to get a lot of appreciation for doing it again this is just like charisma dump oh man you are thinking of us as the fans this is a huge acknowledgement and yeah, crossplay would be an awesome thing to have for this game at launch. So there are other things that, of course, that we had issue with with Street Fighter V on its launch. And a lot of those are just like, you know, I could say have a full game, you know, have an arcade mode at launch. That's something that I would want to. But I think that that goes kind of without saying. And a lot of these other things are uh, more important and a little more um, a bigger priority than those kind yeah. of things. So. I love that you bring up crossplay and that, you know, Sony consoles are so extremely well known for being super supportive of crossplay and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and we're just kind of basically counting down the days where Sony just completely and totally sponsors the show and says, we love you guys for all the crap that we give them. So, anyway. We're here, we're rocking it, and we have Steven, which I don't think, Steven, have you been on since we've started YouTube? I have not, but it's nice to see that once I come back, it's just utter chaos, right? Where everything's out of order, and that's that's how I like it. Hells yeah, man. <laughs> well, welcome on. Um, the reason we have Steven on is because we are going to talk a little bit about Oro and his BS that I'm calling out right now. It's still early. I don't know that anyone's complaining about it yet, but I suspect they will be soon. And of these two new characters that just hit Street Fighter V, I've been practicing for the review on Akira, and uh, Steven has been doing Oro. Mm -hmm. We ran into... We were actually going to talk about um, Oro's story and how Steven wasn't all that uh, impressed with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we decided... We ended up getting into not a fight 
but you know, like a little friendly professional discussion about one of Oro's V triggers, and uh, and I'm suspecting that of all of the good things that have happened with Street Fighter V in the last year or so, all of the good directions, all of the progress, all of the updates to the mechanics, to the flow of the game, to make it more fun and enjoyable. And then they put Tengu Stone into the game, and I am taking issue with it. Now, I haven't seen it come to fruition outside of some of the, uh, you know, like Twitter clip examples, but I suspect that this will do more harm to the gameplay than it will good. But before we get too far into it, Steven, I'd like to open up the floor to you and say, what have you been seeing with Oro and specifically with his V-Trigger? Tell us about it. Tell us how it works. Get the people mm-hmm. up to speed. Have the if they haven't played with it yet. Yeah, so Tango Stone is his V-Trigger 2, and you have two different types of ways that you can activate it. The standard way gives you, I believe, three floating items that let you, they follow after each attack, right? So the basic thing is that you can continue combos and and put together these long, extensive, like, sequences, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. If you do down and V-Trigger activation, you will get, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's, it's a more intense one. It has five items, does more damage, but the gauge runs out faster. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of these heavy, like, hitting combos now that people are doing in training mode with that one, right? And so it's a very, very interesting V-Trigger in that, again, it's it's used to tack on this these big damage combos and stuff like that. It's The way that I'm seeing it right now is it really feels a lot like Rose's V-Trigger 2. Uh, it's one of those things that you're going to get some nice guaranteed damage for the most part on activation, and it's more threatening, like way more threatening, if you bite against a raw V-Trigger. So if you're already active and then somebody tries to do something and you hit them, they're going to eat, a, they could potentially eat a lot of damage. Now, it looks really scary. As always, Twitter clips can be very deceptive because you look tell, at... Tell them what the Twitter clips are showing us so far. The Twitter clip that we, that got us to start, that sparked our discussion, right, was against a Seth player. Uh, it was like, you know, the Seth was in the lead. The Seth player had it coming. <laughs> that, that, it, it's, no, 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 nothing you could say right now would be bad because everyone <laughs> is going like, Seth... I don't care. Yeah. Kill that person. I, so, Seth, yeah. Seth has some of the lowest health in the game, I That's... think, second to Akuma, right? So it's going to look especially bad with Seth's life bar. Um, and this was an ultimate grandmaster, Seth, too, right? Yes, yeah. And, okay. and and the clip looked especially bad because it was against Seth, right? Again, like you said, like, you know, lowest, second lowest health in the game kind of thing. Uh, the Oro player activated on a sweep uh, crush counter and then walked up and did standing heavy punch from point-blank range and started the combo. That's mm-hmm. about as dream of a situation as you could get there. That is about as optimized. That's what, you, what you're what you hoping for, right? That they bite on Wake Up and you get that full combo. Uh, the Oro did, like, I believe it was standing heavy punch into medium kick, the, the double kick, uh, and then spaced it out with crouching medium punch to get a jump in, which is one of the techniques he can do with the, the Tengu Stone. It was a big combo. It built a bunch of, of super meter, and it ended up taking, like, what was maybe, like, 40% health from, from Seth or something like that. Oh, oh come was on, it? man. I, it it looked was like more it. than half-life. Was this, it? These yeah, combos... It was like, 60%. I okay, these that's combos, fair. So. That's fair. So the first one that I saw was... Uh, we, that was the one that sparked this discussion, yeah. but the first one that I saw was... I think it was day one. It was Monday or maybe early on Tuesday where someone was just putting a, a, just a standard Oro-Tengu-Stone combo onto 
Twitter, and it was it was perfect situation. I think it was uh, a DP punish, which, by the way, that happens a lot. Sure. Uh, but a DP punish into activation, and they did something like 738 damage. Yep. Now, is that going to happen every round? No, but of course not. It's 738 damage. The mm -hmm. even even the hardest hitting sequences in this, it's like they sometimes get up to like 600, and that's impressive. Mm -hmm. This was like day one, first 24 mm -hmm. hours of playing with Aura and it wasn't hard looking at all because a lot of it is just do a move the 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 debris comes in hits you do another move debris comes in hits you do a special and you can kind of equate this uh, or, or compare it to rose or not rose um sorry minots mm -hmm. v trigger one especially from right. back in the day but that was like the most technical thing i think you can do in street fighter 5 is try to nail those combos where you have like pros that still are dropping them um and, and i don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because that's not really the, the focus of all this sure. but my point is it was a super relatively easy v trigger to use and and just hitting button 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 and then super which because by the way as you're doing all this all of those hits that the debris do also build oro's uh it's critical art meter yep. so what this comes down to is what we're seeing is oro's lopping off more than half health if he has V trigger and about half of his critical art meter, mm -hmm. because if he hits this V trigger, he's not only doing a, like something like 400 damage with the trigger itself, but he's almost always empowered to do critical art to finish it off, and that's putting him up into 600 and sometimes in the in the most dire or the most grave of situations, 700 damage. And my thing is, as I see that, not only is it relatively easy to do. And, and realistically going mm. to happen, I think it's going to turn rounds back into what they were in earlier Street Fighter V seasons where V-Triggers were deciding way too much of the outcome of rounds. So now you can have a situation where, and this isn't just Seth or low health characters, Oro has one hit left and you have half life and you guys are, for all intents and purposes, at about the same amount of life because if he touches you and he uses Tengu Stone, he's going to combo you all the way, and, and he has halfway critical art meter, that's game. And I can see that happening and see it playing out in front of me as I'm playing online and just like, this isn't fun, this is frustrating, he got a single hit on me, I made one wrong read and it cost me more than half of my life for something that's relatively easy to do. And by the way, that's not where the versatility and the usability of Tengu Stone runs out. It also helps open people up. But I've been talking for a while, you guys can have something to say about it, I, but you're. Yeah. I I have to jump in and just say like I I really take issue with saying that the mm -hmm. that the Tengu Stone is easy to use. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's easy to use at all. Uh, we we Stephen and I have both been playing Oro a good bit, and I don't know if I've landed a single Tengu Stone combo like at all. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's hard to get in there. And then one of the other things that's a big thing is like don't get opened up right at the very start of the Tengu Stone. Like make sure you block that initial mix up. That's a big deal. Um, and, and kind of stuff of that nature. I, I have a, quite a bit more to say, but I, I did want to say, like, I, I, I don't think it's a super easy V-Trigger to use, especially as Steven mentioned the other day that, like, some of the debris has different hit stun mm -hmm. on it. Different and you've got to be aware of what kind of things you bring up there. Steven, can you clarify on that? Yeah, like, it seems like, obviously, with, with the Tengu Stone, as we know, like, one of the traits of it is that when he summons, when Oro summons the items, there is it's 
there's a chance to summon different things, right? There's like, you know, you'll see like what looks like a game gear flying around. You'll see like stones, obviously. You'll see, um, you know, like a little dinosaur doll or Blancachon, right? But like, mm -hmm. there's different things that have different effects. So you'll see like fire effects and stuff like that sometimes. So it's, it's weird that it's like, I don't know what the specifics of each thing do yet, which we'll probably have to do some research on that. But like, it did feel like when practicing these combos, just in training mode, trying to practice the easiest, most optimal, optimal thing in the corner, like the spacing and stuff is very delicate is the way that I can describe it. It's like, it works three out of five times. Like there it's, it's weird. It's like, it doesn't always work the same way that you think it will. And so like, there's things as well where it's like in mid screen, if you activate off of, off of a crouching medium punch or something, it's like, okay, cool. I, I know the follow up here, but it doesn't always work. And it's like the, the spacing is very specific. It's, I'm not seeing a lot of pro players doing these big combos yet in terms of like actual matches. And, and it's, it's also because it's a three bar V trigger, right? And it, it takes long to get there. And what I was actually seeing a lot of, I was watching some uh, Nemo footage earlier today and he's doing pretty well with Oro, like from what he has some really interesting stuff he's using right now. But the main thing he was doing with that V trigger was um, activating on somebody's jump and then juggling with medium punch DP and then getting the combo that way because that's the guaranteed damage, right? It's like he knows he can get three to 400 damage, probably 400 damage off of that because he got the jump, right? But you're not seeing as much of the activation on the ground, which is the other point that I bring up of like, not only is it difficult to use, but if you activate on block, it's like, it's not as threatening. It's, it's again, it's kind of like with Rose's V trigger too. Like it's threatening, but if you V reversal, you get them out of there and, and then he kind of has to mount that offense again, right? And it's like, there's ways around it where it feels like, and I think, John, uh, you could also, Raptor, you could uh, attest to this as well, and we were playing, like, when I activated on block, it was kind of like, I can just kind of block this right now. Um, obviously, Oro has uh, his other Visco, which has an overhead where things get trickier, but it's just, it's not as crazy as it seems right now. Like, it, we're, we're thinking about V-Triggers in the sense of, like, G's V-Trigger 1, right? Where it's just, he gets a button you're carried to the corner, you're eating 400 damage free, like, now you're in a terrible position and it's over. With this one, it's it's a lot of setup, it's a lot of where am I at on the screen? What are the conditions of the match right now? I really have to plan this out and make sure I've got it, or I can just go for the much safer options and just get way less damage. So it's, it's there's a lot of work to it, which is why I don't mind as much, because when you're playing it and you get to that point, it's like it's a three-bar V-trigger. It takes a while to get there. You don't get to use V-shift as much. You don't get to use V-reversal as much. And then when you get there, it's like, okay, now I, I still need to work for this confirm. I need to work really hard to get this 738 damage. So It's, it's not it's not free uh, uh, damage. John, John, I, I just I had to point this out for people not watching on YouTube. You can watch the pained <laughs> expressions of John Velociraptor here as we talk about this stuff. It looks progressively more and more like he's going to bite a chunk out of his microphone. <laughs> like, that's how upset he's getting right now. But John, go ahead. <laughs> well, the first thing I would say in terms of is it is it easy to, to land? Um, again, we're, Oro came out on Monday. So sure. we're recording this on Wednesday. He's been out for all of two days now. Um, and I think it was on Monday, again, that uh, it was Brian F. was streaming and he was playing Oro. And he gets like a medium kick or something, goes into Tengu Stone, and then just... <laughs> The joke was that he just kept pressing medium kick, I think, over and over it again. It was forward medium and punch, finish out the round. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Forward, medium punch. Yeah, because it moves him forward, and and that's what I was talking about. There's safer options, and it's, yeah, it closes out the round, but it's like that's super safe. That's not doing the most damage or anything like that. Like that. Sure, and yeah. even that was enough to lop off about half life, build up that critical art. And my point is, is that if you think about a Street Fighter round, and the Street Fighter Five community is super. Uh, um, in touch with this idea right now because V-triggers have been way too powerful way too often and we've just like I said earlier started to get away from that with the new mechanics and with the, the tweaks that the developers have been putting in and now we have a V-trigger that if he touches you and gets it started he is able to lop off at least half of your health and and probably go into critical art so much of the round is now like like worthless not worthless but so much of it is decided by this one thing and i'm like we've made so much progress and suddenly we're back to what i'm going to call an absolute robbery v trigger i don't think there's two ways about it and and yes he has to earn the hit everybody has to earn the hit how often do you find like a stray hit going into v trigger in this game you have someone cornered and and you know you take them to the corner and that gives them v trigger because you've been beating on them half the time the move is to back the hell up and let them either either activate from a way that's not going to get like sweep into activate or you're not going to catch like as you're trying to put pressure they do a jab activate and suddenly they're in the v-trigger like it's better a lot of times just to cage them because of how powerful v-triggers have been and you compare it to maybe g's v-trigger one sure that's been a huge problem and it's not as bad now because people aren't playing him as much because he's been nerfed around and such but still the v-trigger in and of itself is not fun to 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 play against it's not fun to lose to man and you get out of there and you you come away from the experiences with triggers like that either feeling like oh, I just barely survived and I feel something of relief from extreme anxiety or extreme frustration. They do not add up to fun. And I haven't experienced it firsthand yet. I haven't had my ass handed to me by an Oro player with this V-Trigger. But as far as I can tell, here two days after the game or after the character has been released, that that kind of thing is going to happen all the time. Half, like, I, like when once my life bar is half gone or like, 40% gone, now I'm worried about trigger ending it all. And it's not a reset mix-up situation like G's, which I'm not, I still hate G's V-Trigger with a passion, V-Trigger 1. But at least that one, like, there's resets. So you can you can argue that Nikali's is super strong. Sure, but he has to hit you multiple times and you have opportunities to get out of it. If this one hits you, you're done. He hits you once. He hits you once. You need to vote forward into stomp and then you go into super. You've done that to me like 7,000 times and it does 600 damage and it puts me in the corner and I'm stuck there holding a mix up. I don't it's think it does crap. 600 damage. And you, you just, well, does you just you did the... that setup to me when we played our sets this morning. Like, you literally just did that, cornered me, and then yeah. put me in a horrible mix up. Right. Yeah, but you had another it... opportunity afterwards, at least to mix up. And again, those things aren't fun, are they, guys? Like, are, are those things fun? Or do you think about that situation and go, man, that really sucks. I wish that wasn't part of my Street Fighter experience. Well, Here's well, that, that, that on crack. To... The, okay, this, this comes down to, it's really important in my opinion, is we all play characters, we're not we're not Falk players up in here, we all play characters that have really dominant V-triggers, and that's kind of the nature of this game. And to me, it's like, look, like uh, if if you know the history of Oro, he's the most powerful character in Street Fighter lore or whatever, and the Tengu Stone in Third Strike was a big deal, and people would be constantly shouting, hey, 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 with every hit of it like they do with Yun. But Oro got up on stream like one time out of a hundred, so you almost never saw him, right? Because he was mid-lowish tier in that game. But a really dominant and great Oro player could put on a hell of a show and make it incredible. That's what Oro is in, in Street Fighter V. That's not like, an I excuse use... to make the game not fun. 
I, I mean, I this is Street Fighter Five. Like this is robbery V triggers are the nature of this game. No, they and it's used like, to be. Now we've, we've no, made so much are. progress. Yes, but they're not like this. Name, and this is just character. such a blatant return to forgetting all of the lessons we've learned, as far as I can tell. It oh, okay. Name a character like that's that's winning in tournament right now that has a super crappy V trigger. I'm not saying that V-Triggers haven't been a problem. I'm not saying that V-Triggers are still doing a little bit too much, maybe. I'm like, I've been like, okay, I'll meet you halfway. This is not meeting me halfway. This is meeting me at like, I have 60% health left, and then it's killing me. So, the, the thing like, about yeah, this V-Triggers have been a black eye, but this is a return to, like, we forgot all of the lessons that we learned. Go what, ahead, what I will give you is that if you look at this V-Trigger in a vacuum, you're 100% right. If you look at just this V-Trigger, what it is and what it can do... I completely agree with you. Right, we should look at it in the context of all of Oro's other annoying ass, jumpy around, crazy shenanigan moves. Sure. And like fireballs floating around. Oh, you got clipped by that into feature. I'm sure it's even worse. You're oh, right, no. Steven. I'm it's... sure it's even worse than I'm thinking it is right now. We'll see as things come together. Yeah, and you guys no, can remember this because no. it will be forever on YouTube and I will just no. link this video up. Nope, it's Sorry, yeah, no, it's actually the opposite. All of that stuff is is really hard to use. It's really damn hard to use altogether. And if you look at it that way, and again, it's like I'm just not seeing these pros use Tango Stone in the way that we're we're thinking it's going to be used. I'm actually becoming more afraid of his V Trigger One because off of an EXDP reversal, he gets like almost 400 damage or something crazy with the command throw, and it's like that's a lot scarier to me. That's one bar. Wait, that's, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, one off of like a whiff DP, and no, then it's he can, trigger he can one. Uppercut, he can uppercut on wake up with his EX uppercut and then cancel that into command throw, and it does a ton of damage because of V trigger one. Yeah, I don't think it's 400. It's but a lot. I think it Maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm guessing, you know, I'll pull up the frame data right here because a combination of damage scaling and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But his EXDP is like what, like 140, 160 or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's got 16 frames of invincibility, which we'll talk here about later. But yeah, 160 damage. And then his, um, V Trigger one, I'm sure, is like an extra 200 or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, 200. So there you go. So yeah. it, like that's three to so more like 350, somewhere uh, around three to 400 <laughs> damage. Yeah, yeah, not too far. It, it's, um, you and know, you're more afraid of all that. that than 738 damage on a punished DP. Yeah, because that's one meter. And then if he gets a follow-up combo, he has another one. He can do that again, and he can do these long juggles and then end with a command throw and then tack on more damage again, like another 150 to 200 damage. That becomes more scary to me than what Tango Stone is doing because I'm not then, seeing people then a, do it. Then a definite 600 damage? Well, it's not definite. That's the problem. I'm not seeing if, pros If they do hit it. you? Well, that if they hit you, like it's, but people, I'm not seeing pros do that yet. And, and maybe there's some setups or something that are, are going to come later, but like, I didn't see Nemo. I watched quite a bit of Nemo play, and I didn't see him do it one time. He was doing conversions off of uh, anti airs. That was his way of doing it. Not the grounded big combos you're seeing. Like, he was just like, I'm going to take advantage of the jump because that's guaranteed for sure. I'm going to get that. And it's like, I'm not seeing these big, these big sequences come out. I, I saw them on Twitter, but. I'm not seeing them in actual matches yet. And it's like, there might be some situations where they come they come up and you're going to have some really skilled oral players that know how to set that stuff up really well. But again, it's it's going to be determined by how well can you, you use his other tools to set that stuff up and then get it. You're going to see it happen. It's going to happen for sure. But it, it really does feel a lot like a Monat V-Trigger 1 type of thing. Which was a problem. Um, I okay, so I usually have this kind of a take after I've experienced it firsthand while playing, usually online or playing at all. 
and I haven't yet. Like I said, mm-hmm. I, I haven't run into much in the way of Oro. You and I have played a little bit, and we didn't do this kind of thing hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So I am doing this earlier than I normally do. But with what I've seen, and with as much as I've analyzed this game, this is what I am uh, very worried will come to fruition. So I hope I'm wrong, guys. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I would like to hear from those of you watching. Please comment and let us know, especially with everything that we've talked about here and the way we've laid it out. Do you think that this is going to be a return to the robbery V-triggers that we've just recently gotten away from? Um, and Let us know. Steven, John, did you guys have anything else you wanted to say on this particular topic before we wrap here? Yeah, I wanted to just add that I'm... DLC characters have to be relevant in my opinion and this is one of the ways that you make them relevant and it fits Oro's mold I I have right now no issue with this at all it's he's another G character is another Nikali character very highly explosive damage um, and they get it primarily from V Trigger. It's Nikali's not doing a lot until he, you know, gets into super and other things like that on you. He can't convert much, but if he gets into the, uh, you know, his stomp into, you know, low forward and stuff like that, he's doing a ton of damage and then getting a mix up on top of it, right? That's the kind of explosive robbery characters in this game, and I think that's what Oro is. And again, if he didn't have that, I think he'd basically be abysmal. He wouldn't be relevant at all. And I hate DLC characters that aren't relevant. We've had enough of Falk. Uh, we've had enough of some of the, of the other characters who came in and just not be a presence at all. I'm I'm pretty happy with Oro and where he's at right now. Same, I agree with all of that. And the one thing I will, the one olive branch I will extend here is I think they Capcom probably needs to look at the meter build on the Tengu Stone on hit. Like that's something that is kind of like okay, the, especially with what we've been seeing in the clips. I, I would like to test that more myself, but from some of those clips, the meter gain from that does seem kind of wild. And and that's the one I will give you there. Uh, but everything else, I'm like, with how hard it is to set up, I'm like, it doesn't seem like an issue yet. It's it's he's hard to play. He's he's hard to play, and you you want to get reward out of highly technical characters like that. Like, because again, as John was saying, if you if you don't, he's just gonna be terrible, and we don't want that. We don't want that from DLC characters. If he can yeah. only win because of this V trigger like this, then I would say that's not a very good design. But that's another conversation <laughs> to have for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven, thank you very much for, for jumping on and talking. Um, sure. Again, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that you're right, but you're freaking wrong. And uh, we'll see you in time. <laughs> hey, thanks. Steven, for thank you for jumping on for the, the YouTube thing and, and making John progressively like age and get more angry just <laughs> as you spoke about Oro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for those not watching the YouTube version, you need to watch it just to watch John's reaction. It's it's pretty amazing it's the transformation it's like that m night Shyamalan movie that i hear is really bad <laughs> yeah i'm sure you're regretting having me on after not having me on for quite a while you're probably like yeah i probably shouldn't have invited him back but hey we'll see if i come back later again <laughs> but thanks that's for having not me, how guys. i'm feeling at all <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys appreciate it thank you steven all right let's jump on over to uh you've been playing both um akira and oro Yep. And you have some tips to play as or against them because you know, it, man, one of the one of the worst things is when you jump in, especially if someone's playing and ranked, and they beat the crap out of you with a new character, and it's not because they outplayed you, but it's just because you didn't know where things were, where they were vulnerable, where their weaknesses were, where they were unsafe, things along those lines. So we're ho- we're hoping to offset that just a little bit with uh, some some stuff that John has been uh, putting together for you here. Yep. Five simple tips for both characters, uh, Oro and Akira. These tips will work if you're playing these characters or against them. So really simple stuff. Um, Oro, number one, is he's slippery. 
Oro is possibly the most slippery character in the entire game. He's got a double jump, an extremely fast forward dash, and a variety of moves that put him in odd positions that let him kind of slink away if he's in, in a lot of trouble or to kind of set you up for some madness, right? Uh, Rashida is notorious for having extremely good movement options. Uh, I don't know if Oro beats him. He might. But if you're comparing a character to Rashid in terms of how difficult they are to pin down, you have a pretty good idea of what Oro is capable of. Uh, the next thing is what we've talked about before is explosive V-triggers. Um, Oro's V-trigger sequences in Okazemi situations remind me of what G can do, uh, where your entire life, ball, life bar is melted away by a single hit or a combo that leads into a high-pressure situation. Um, Oro is a classic case of uh, you might be like oh, facing against an Oro play. I'm winning. I'm winning. I lost. Uh, be prepared for that. Uh, this character is super technical and unlocking everything he has going for him is going to take a while. But even right now, some of the sequences he's capable of doing, uh, we haven't seen in quite a while. This guy packs one hell of a punch the moment he gets his V-triggers going. So be real careful about that. Three, Oro is hard to play. Uh, he's uh, one of the most powerful characters in the Street Fighter universe. And once again, Capcom decided to lock that uh, away uh, behind a very high execution wall. So um, Oro takes a spot up there with some of the most difficult characters to play in the game, along with like Minot, Rose, Zeku, uh, people of that nature. So keep in mind, if your opponent is working on a really long and difficult se sequence, there's a chance they'll drop that setup or conversion and be ready to punish. So it's, you know, it's a good thing. It's like, uh, you know, do you got this or not? Right. So number four, he has a tool for most situations. This character can do a lot of everything. And the phrase jack of all trades, but master a few is definitely applicable. I've outlined that Oro is very slippery and explosive, but after that, you're not going to see a ton of things that are standouts for him. But this is a character who's capable of playing most styles in the game. Uh, he has fireballs that do uh, that can be used for a solid amount of zoning. He also can put up a lot of pressure with moves like standing medium kick is plus three on block and fully cancelable. Like, he can cancel into everything with it. So, uh, he also got a three-frame normal and one of the most invincible DPs in the entire game at 16 frames of invincibility just to give people an idea guile's exdp uh, ex flash kick is nine frames of invincibility bison when he does his ex stomp and then goes into devil's reverse and there's clips of like people dping through it and, and you know just kind of flying through it because of how much invincibility it has that has exactly 16 frames of invincibility exactly what oro has with his exdp that is a monster of a move and you're going to see some situations where it's like oh i just went for like chip out on super and oro did exdp through it and went right around it this the he's got some really interesting attacks but some of his drawbacks are that he only has 950 health uh and most of his normals are not plus on block and such regardless there's a lot to work with here uh and it's not going to be all readily apparent like from the get-go with oro there's just so much there and then at number five, uh, he has a lot of juggle opportunities. His ability to extend combos and do some wild stuff are excellent, but the opportunities to do such are not as good, right? You have to really be kind of like specific in your, your spacing and timing and other stuff to get all the stuff going. Uh, Oro's uh, standing media punch, for example, is a great juggle move, and it can even work as an anti-air in the right situations. Um, but getting to those spots on screen and actually being able to get it out and not have it trade, it's, it's a challenge. But... If you can get his juggle stuff going, like you can get, like I, I posted a, a, a clip, which we'll show here on the screen and then on my Twitter account too, um, where he gets 358 damage uh, with a st uh, starting standing medium punch and uh, and goes into like V-Trigger and stuff like that. It's it's pretty damn good. So those are kind of like the main core things to look with with, uh, with Oro. 
Right on. I've been playing some uh, some Akira, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm interested to see what your takes are on her. Yeah, so Akira's uh, five things to look out for is, number one, is she's primarily a footsies and rushdown character. The main goal with Akira is to close uh, ground with her walk speed and using moves like her rush elbow uh, to close ground. Um, all of the normal versions of her rush elbow are negative four on block, but they can be spaced to make them reasonably hard to punish. Mm-hmm. And then the EX version of that is negative two. That's fully safe. To most situations right um also uh if the opponent gives you much space to work with it's a great time to charge up her v skill one uh to make her fireball special a little bit better so yeah uh number two is to have uh your brother's back have your brother daigo's back uh is one of the most important things because when akira's v trigger one comes up daigo does some pretty gnarly stuff and one of the easy ways to take advantage of it is by crossing the opponent up by jumping over them and uh these mix-ups have proven to be pretty darn potent in Street Fighter V. And you can see another player uh, did this on me here in the footage, uh, which I had trouble with blocking, where they just basically jumped over me and Daigo's got 50 hitboxes on the screen and I don't know which way to block. And, you know, I, I'm pretty experienced with this stuff. And yeah, and, and it still got me pretty darn good. So have your brother's back or more clearly use your brother's back and those nice hitboxes to really throw the other player for a loop. Uh, and if you're on, you know, defense and see one of these coming, you know, if you the Akira player is doing this, you consider using V Shift. It's not a bad time to bust that out because mm-hmm. it, it gets a little scary. And so. and this is one of those moves similar to like Bison's EX Stomp that you just you just don't really contest it. Like there will be moments where you can probably eke it out, but so far in this very early stage, from what I've played, especially um, last night playing with the guys at the uh, the casuals and such, the the lesson learned was do not contest when Daigo is doing his stuff because or don't don't be attacking Akira you're gonna get clipped by something and then now that will become we'll, we'll understand exactly where the hitboxes and hurtboxes and all that kind of stuff are and people will figure out how to thread needles there but like be safe <laughs> be yep. safe out there guys <laughs> definitely uh, number three she's stubby Akira's reach leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, while she can get around this with some of her attacks and her stellar walk speed, it's really important to note that Akira can't easily close ground with the normals in this game. You're going to see players closing ground like with a uh, toward plus heavy punch, uh, the strike that she does, she kind of palms, and then like her standing heavy kick. Um, uh, it, and so keep in mind those moves are all negative on block though that the towards palm is negative five and i believe the stand heavy kick is negative six so she's not getting in for free it's not like she can just hit these buttons and have no recourse to them um akira wants to be up in her face as much as possible so make her life difficult in terms of getting there don't let her into those ranges for free it's a really important thing make her make her responsible for her stubbiness like make sure that you know you just you don't give her free ways in right Mm -hmm. So number four is that her dragon punch is really good. Akira's heavy kick dragon punch moves her forward a good distance and it has really solid levels of invincibility without even using meter. Um, If Akira sees the opponent commit to an option, she can use her DP to blow through it and score a really nice knockdown. As you can see from the footage here, uh, this is happening. you're going to want to use the medium kick DP as her primary anti-air option uh, because it has the most invincibility to, to air attacks. And the heavy option, the heavy kick version, tends to move her so far forward, you can actually miss the opponent, and that could be really bad. Yeah. Um, so keep in mind, every single one of her DPs is fully crush counterable punishable. Um, and you're going to see Akira players betting some stuff pretty heavily on a DP that they probably shouldn't because Akira is going to get frustrated with trying to get in and it's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to DP here and do some other stuff. It's really good, but this girl's got a 950 uh, health rating and if she's going to be DPing a bunch, you want to be- make sure your crush counter punishes are ready to go against this character. Very important thing. 
Um, and this is one of the ways she can actually get in, at least against fireball characters and, and against characters that just have like if you whiff something, heavy DP is not a bad whiff punish, um, especially if she's too far to use, you know, other options. But she can go straight through a fireball if she sees it. And it's like it feels like it's from half screen. It's not quite that far, but like sweep distance, maybe even a little bit farther back. She, that DP takes her horizontally so far forward that she'll get you. Um, some of like, if, if you have a fireball that goes kind of up like Lucia's or, or a Gil's high fireball, for instance, she might get clipped by that and then you guys will trade. But a lot of times she'll just breeze right through a DP if she's looking for it. And then, hey, uh, she's not technically in at that point, but it is something to, uh, to counter projectile and zoning um, um, strategies for her. So... Akira players are going to know how to do that kind of stuff because it's going to be very crucial to her game. Yeah, and, and hurt boxes on fireballs in this game are pretty large. Uh, I don't know why Capcom did that exactly, but the pretty universally, like if you have a fireball thrower, your hurt box is pretty far out there. They reach, and Akira, you know. Yeah, yeah. and just it, it, she's going to clip you with it. So you got to be really careful. I think we're going to be all more acutely aware of it now with uh, this character. But last thing, number five, is beware of the spin kicks. These suckers are tricky. The best case scenario for these things on the initial attack, not the follow-up, but the initial attack is just the first hit being negative uh, 5 or negative 6. Now, the follow-ups are negative 10 or negative 12, except if she does the heavy kick version, which goes very high uh, and has very little range, that one's negative 2, but it also can be ducked under even from point-blank range. Mm -hmm. So it's going to whiff entirely if she does that option, but it is negative 2 if, if you happen to be standing and blocking it. So it, this is tricky. It's hard to explain. There's so much going on here. Uh, John, it sounds like you, you want to jump right, in. Yeah, and I, I guess if, if it's tricky and to clarify, it's when she does, you know, two, she does a spin kick and then she can choose to do another one and she can go low, uh, mid or high with these. Um, but I wanted to ask specifically because uh, is the is the gap between if she chooses to do two spin kicks, is that five or six frames? Or is it only that if she does one spin kick, she's negative five. Um, and then if she does the next one and you block that, she's negative 10 or 12. So it's all move startup and other things like that. But basically, you know, when you're talking about a six frame punish window, like in seeing if she does another follow up or not, like it depends on what button you hit or whatever. So she can trap you. She can frame trap you. So it's like, oh, uh, so she did the first initial attack and it's negative six. I'm going to go ahead and try to punish that. Well, if I'm a little bit late on the punisher, I choose the wrong button or something like that. Her follow up will come and clip me depending on especially the range and other stuff like that. Her follow ups. It's tricky. You can't. You can, if you know the frame data exactly and you know everything, like you can get some consistent punishes out there, but depending on the spacing and the timing of the Akira player, she can also blow up your punish attempt. And so it's not, it, it's very much a guessing game at that point. And, you know, the Akira player needs to have very good spacing and timing to make this stuff like a true trap. But I had a player last night who was very good uh, go up against my rows and they were doing some of the traps. And I'm like, oh, I know this is negative five or negative six. Let me stick something out there. Boom, hit me with it, went right into super and killed me. And I'm like, Bam. I'm like, that's, that's not bad. It, it's, it's tricky. So um, you want to be really careful with this. It's, it's not a core strategy that you want to go to all the time. You want to make sure it's that your risk versus, yeah, it's, it, I want to call it as a gimmick as much as like, it needs to favor your risk versus reward really well. Cause if you can get that and go into super and do 500 damage or whatever and take the round, it's worth it. Like that's not a gimmick at that point. That's a trap that the opponent might fall for and you might kill. Um, so but this stuff is really, really, really tricky, uh, and I highly recommend that if you play against Akira a lot, you kind of collab this a lot. You're going to need to spend like an extra 20 minutes on this sucker, uh, and you know, if you play Akira, realize that like for the opponent, 
I don't care what the frame data. The frame data is a liar sometimes. It's really tricky to to consistently go up against this if you don't have a lot of experience with it. If you have a lot of experience, it's probably not too bad. Uh, but that's it. Those are my my five simple tips there for Aura and Akira. Right on. Got in, got out. Good to go. All right, you guys. That's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back with you soon. See you.